Our scripture reading this morning, if you want to turn there with me, is taken from 1 Peter chapter 4. It's 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1 through 11 I'll be reading. Uh, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live in the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. But they have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard of the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray above all. Love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. May the Lord add blessing to the reading of his word this morning. One of the things about summers is usually that the schedule is uh, a little more relaxed and that happens in church as well. We don't quite have everything going on like we're used to going on and our music ministry isn't going to happen this morning because life got in the way of that. So, um, you might be out of here early today. Bonus. You pay all that money to come and then you get out early. You're going to get ripped off, right? So we should... Make sure you get your money's worth. No, that's like going to going to school, Wes. I remember when I was in, in Bible college, the students would always be glad when the teachers were sick and they didn't have to go to class, not realizing that they paid all this money for tuition and they were getting ripped off by teacher being sick. Anyway, if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is uh, found just behind Psalms, behind Proverbs. It's not a book that that a whole lot gets talked about or written about. It's it's one of those things that is just kind of there and for the most part, I think, ignored. Um, But we want to get into that a little bit this morning. Next week, by the way, Uh, I want to do a message on what happens after we die. Ecclesiastes talks about life and it talks about death. Uh, And many people are are, kind of confused about what happens after we die. And I want to give you, um, uh, I I think, what what the Bible teaches on what happens 
after we die as a Christian, as a non-Christian? What about uh, Jesus coming back and the great throne judgment and, and all the rest of that? So uh, we want to talk about that next Sunday, what happens after we die. But uh, right now, Ecclesiastes is about life, and the message is called Probing the Path of Life. And if you would turn with me to chapter 2, and uh, I am going to read from verses 17 through 26. We're going to take bits and bites out of Ecclesiastes. But we're going to read from chapter 2, verse 17, uh, through to the end of the chapter. So the writer, the preacher, by the way, in, in my own language, this book is called The Preacher. And uh, so this is the preacher is talking here, and we'll talk about who that was in just a little bit. So the preacher says, chapter 2, verse 17, So I hated life, because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun, because I must leave them to the one who comes after me, and who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will have control over all the work into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then he must leave all he owns to someone who has not worked for it. This too is meaningless or vanity and a great misfortune. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? All his days his work is pain and grief. Even at night his mind does not rest. This too is meaningless. A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God, for without him who can eat or find enjoyment? To the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness, but to the sinner he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And then if you would turn back to chapter 1 and verse 2, you find the preacher's words again. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless or vanity. I read through the paper, the Nippon Journal, in the last couple of weeks, and I don't know if you've seen it or not or whether you bothered reading it, but I saw all the pictures there of the high school grads of, of Nippon and Choiceland and Carrot River and Arbor Field and Zenon Park. And underneath every picture, there were some comments, and many of those comments, like what were your best memories of school, or, or um, you know, the, the student's name and whose parents were, her parents were. Uh, and then a lot of them had some aspirations underneath that picture. Here's what I would like to do, or here's what I'm hoping to do with my life. And I don't know if you noticed, but for some reason, I think it was the Carrot River High School grads, I think about 80% of them are going to do the electrical program at, at Cumberland College. I don't know if that's some kind of conspiracy or not, but it's just something that I noted there. Now, many of these high school grads have already been through a lot, but I think many of others of them are going to come face-to-face -face with reality sooner or later. Because part of growing up is leaving the nest. 
yes, you now get the freedom, but you also get the responsibility of looking after yourself. Your bills will need to be paid. Your housework needs to get done. Somebody besides your mom is going to make your bed and do your laundry. Employers will have demand and expectations. Most of us know that post-secondary education isn't like high school at all. And joining the workforce, which many of the grad pictures said underneath, oh, I think I'm going to join the workforce for a year. Joining the workforce isn't like high school either. You can't show up late. You can't take days off, all the rest of that. And for most people, the pursuit of dreams is mostly hard work. And for many, those dreams either turn to dust or never turn into reality. But then we get older. And so as we get older, we tend to settle down a little bit. We tend to compromise and we tend to face and deal with the realities of life. Some of us get a little cynical. Some of us tend to complain. And when you first read Ecclesiastes, it sounds like someone who is totally disillusioned with life is now totally cynical and who's actually an old grouch. But I think if you read Ecclesiastes a little more carefully, and if you contemplate what the writer says, it will help us understand and appreciate this little book. And today we are going to probe the path of life. You see, Ecclesiastes is about life. It's about the realities of life. Life doesn't always smile. Life isn't always the fulfillment of our dreams. Life sometimes just happen. All right, if we're going to do that, we need to understand the nature of the book. The author is in all likelihood Solomon. Solomon, the richest and the wisest man who ever lived. In chapter 1, uh, he calls himself the teacher, the son of David. In verse 12, he says, I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. And you know the story of Solomon's life. He was the daughter of, of King David and Bathsheba, or Bathsheba, the lady with, uh, who, who David took away from another man. He had her husband murdered. They had a child. The child died. And later on, Solomon was born, probably the least qualified in terms of his, uh, his siblings to come to the throne. But David said, Solomon is going to be the next king. So God appears to Solomon in a dream. There was an initial power struggle, and then uh, that got taken care of. And God appears to Solomon in a dream and says to Solomon, ask for whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. And Solomon goes through a bit of this preamble, and he says, what I need, what I really need here is wisdom. And God says, boy, that's a really good choice. And because you didn't ask for any of the other stuff, I'm going to give that to you anyway. I'm going to give you wealth and I'm going to give you honor, and I'm going to give you wisdom as well. But the reality is that as Solomon got older, his power and his wealth and his women turned his heart away from God. He taxed the people brutally. He enforced something called forced labor or corvée labor, and it caused the division of the kingdom after his death. And the reality is that the wisest man in history probably did some of the dumbest things that people can do. 
And so he wrote this book toward the end of his life. And it's reflective in view. And he talks about the meaning or the significance of life. And a lot of it he calls vanity or meaninglessness. And then when you read the first couple of chapters of this book, Solomon says, I tried everything. I tried, I had it all. I tried it all. And he said, it all turned to dust in my hands. It all meant, in the end, it all meant Nothing. It turned out to be meaningless. It wasn't worth pursuing. And so Ecclesiastes is the story of a quest. It is a search from which conclusions emerged. And Jeremy, if you could fire that first slide up there. And Solomon came to uh, a number of, of different conclusions in his life. One of the first ones, uh, as, as you read some of these chapters, you recognize that Solomon says that apart from God, nothing in life has much meaning. And he says everything is meaningless. He said, I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, the chasing after the wind. And one of the realities of life that we need to face is that there are some harsh realities in life that, that all of us have to deal with sooner or later. There's injustice. It happens. I saw something else under the sun in the place. Oops. Saw something else under the sun in the place of judgment. Wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. There is death. Death is something that all of us have to face. And Solomon says man's fate is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. And from a physical standpoint, that's true. I have some bad news for you. You're going to die. We're all going to die. Unless the Lord comes back, death is something that's going to happen to every single one of us here. And so he said, from, from a physical perspective, everything is meaningless. And then there's oppression. I don't know if you've been reading the news lately or watching the news about what's happening in Syria. That's just not right. There are things going on. There are people dying in Syria because someone is being a brutal dictator. He says, again, I looked and I saw all the oppression that was placed under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed and they have no comfort. Her power was on the side of their oppressor. The people in Syria are asking the rest of the world, can you help us? And for the most part, we're doing nothing. So we need to come to grips with the harsh realities of life. We must also modify our expectations and pursue a balanced life. You know, we, we come, sometimes we have these expectations that life should be happy, that life should be joyful, that we should be able to accomplish anything we want to do, and some of that is true. But there is a balance in life. Solomon said, a man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God, for without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? Solomon says, 
that moderation and variety is the road to contentment. The latter part of that quote there, I know there, there is nothing better for men than to be happy and to do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This too is the gift of God. And the reality is that life needs to be lived in a sense of accountability to God. God will call the past to account. And so in the last chapter, Solomon says, Now all has been heard, and here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Um, let's move on a little bit. And let's go to chapter 3, probing the mystery of time's and eternity. And this is probably, uh, I remember uh, back in the 1960s, a group made, uh, a group called The Birds put a song together. There is a time uh, to everything, turn, turn, turn. Remember that song? You know, there's a time. And it was taken from Ecclesiastes. And so Solomon is talking here about the different times of life. As you and I go through life, we will go through different times. There are times, there are seasons to life, and sometimes we resist those seasons. I don't like some of those seasons. I like the spring season, like when it, spring is probably my favorite time of the year when everything turns green. When there is new life, when there is a verdancy, when there is, when, when you see stuff begin to grow again. It is probably my favorite time of year, and I, I think back to the times when I was in my 20s and in my, or in my teens even, and, and, and I didn't know what pills were. You know, now I have, I have one of those boxes that has compartments for, for different days, you know? That's called a geezer box. I have one of those. My wife has one of those, you know, and I'm in the geezer season of life. I don't like it. But it's one of the realities of life. There are lives we go through times. There are different times of life. It involves good times and bad times. And you read here, there is a time for everything, a season for every under activity under a heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. Not our time to die, but God's time to die. When my wife's sister passed away, when my sister passed away before their time, uh, I started wondering about that. Lord, why why has that happened? Why do sometimes you take people out of this world when, when it's not their time? And God says it's not your decision to make, it's my decision to make. Isaiah chapter 57 says, Good people pass away. The godly often die before their time, but no one seems to care or wonder why. No one seems to understand that God is protecting them from the evil to come. For those who follow godly paths rest in peace when they die. Jack's mom passed away this week. Jack, she was how old? 94? 95. You know? You, you say, well, that's she lived to a ripe old age. And, uh, and our condolences to you 
and, and your family. But when someone dies at the age of 16 or 21 or 42 or whatever, you say, well, it, it wasn't their time, but there is a time to be born and there is a time to die. In God's hands, our times weave a beautiful pattern. The Bible says that God has made everything in verse 11 in chapter 3. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Psalm 139, all the days you have ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You, can, you and I can't see the whole puzzle, but God can. In God's hands, our times weave a beautiful pattern. Romans 8 verse 28 says, We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Beyond our times, we sense eternity. And God has somehow set eternity in the hearts of people. Our times are in his hands. Psalm 31 uh, says, I am trusting you, O Lord, saying, You are my God. My future is in your hands. My times are in the hands of God. I am secure. If it's not God's time for me to die, I don't need to worry. Sometimes I get on an airplane and I have to fly paces. Some people are terrified of doing that. If it's not God's time for me to die, it's not going to happen. It's probably far more dangerous to drive on the road in Saskatchewan after dark on a Friday night than it is to get into an airplane. My times, my future is in God's hands. And so within this frame of providence, you and I can enjoy the times that God gives us whether it is coming to church on a Sunday morning, whether it is sitting out on your deck and swatting mosquitoes or having a barbecue or going on a family vacation or making a quilt or maybe it's hearing children laughing. God gives us good times. God allows us to, to enjoy our times. Solomon said, I know that there is nothing better for men to be happy and to do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. But the reality is that all of us are accountable for our times to God. God is going to ask us to give an account. As surely as I live, says the Lord for Romans 14, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will confess and give praise to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So when you probe the meaning of life, you discover there are seasons. You and I aren't intended to last forever. Buildings don't last forever. Last week, I was in a little place called Tufnell. Tufnell is about one quarter the size of love. Um, we had, um, we w I went to this music camp. I had a wonderful time. But Tufnell used to be a booming place. Now, in, when you walk into the community hall in Tufnell, you find the post office. The post office is about that wide and about that high. Those are all the post office boxes for everybody in the area. There used to be elevators in a school and a store in Tufnell. 
There is now an art gallery. Believe it or not, there's an art gallery. Painted saw blades, lots of them. But you know, there, there, there are times when, when we look at, at, at things on the prairies and we say things change. And we try and resist that change, but there is a time. There is a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to tear down, and a time to build, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to scatter stones, and a time to gather them, a time to embrace, a time to refrain, a time to search, and a time to give up, a time to keep, and a time to throw away, a time, oh, time to throw away. Kathy, you remember that verse, uh, I need to clean my stuff up in the basement, so. You're going to like this. Uh, a time, yeah, there are times. There's something here for young people. Go to chapter 11 with me. Chapter 11, verse 9 says, Be happy, young man, while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eyes see. But for know, know that for all these things, God will bring you to judgment. When you're young, whoops, when you're young, there is a time for enjoyment. When you're young, it's a time for vision. When you read uh, the grad goals and stories in, in the newspaper, when you see not just the high school grads, but even the NBC grads, their hopes, their dreams, their aspirations. It's a time for vision, but it's also a time for accountability. Proverbs chapter 12, or Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1 says, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. It's a time also for faith. It's a time where you as a young person need to develop your faith. You need to transition. Do I believe this because this is what my mom and dad have told me to believe? Or do I believe this now because this is what I know to be right? And it's also a time for preparation because the reality is that as young and as healthy as you are, it doesn't last forever. And those of us who have gray heads at one time were teenagers here too. And so we face the challenge of aging. We face the challenge of accumulating difficulties. Bible says, remember your creator before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark, when you start, your vision starts dimming and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble, your arms and your legs and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease, you run out of teeth because they are few and those looking through the windows grow dim. When the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when men rise up at the sound of birds but all their sung songs grow faint, you lose your hearing. When men are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags himself along, and desire is no longer stirred, then man goes to his eternal home. And so, yes, as we grow older, we face the challenge of accumulating difficulties. 
And I think there's a warning here for those of us that are in that stage or going to that stage. What happens when you and I get older and our, our, our world and our health starts to decline is that our world begins to shrink. And we tend to live in a very small world and life becomes all about me. We need to be careful, those of us that are aging, that we don't live in a shrinking world and develop a selfish attitude. And as we get older, I know that the next 20 years are going to bring huge changes for me. 20 years from now, this church is going to change. Many of us won't be here. Maybe some of us will be. Maybe some of us won't be. My dad made it to 70. That means I've got nine years left. I don't know if I'm going to make it that long or not. But the reality is we're going to die. And we need to face that. We need to grow old gracefully. We need to learn to die courageously and gracefully as Christians, to die strong, to finish well. So how do you live? You know, Ecclesiastes is, is, in a way, it's a cynical look at life, but it's also a realistic look at life because life doesn't always smile. Life isn't always exciting, so how do you deal? How do you deal with frustration and routine? One of the things that you and I need to do is to develop a realistic attitude toward routine. Life can't always be exciting. If you have a vehicle that has a tachometer in it, you know what a tachometer is? Okay, it measures engine RPM. And if you have a tachometer in your vehicle, or if you see a vehicle that has a tachometer in it, it usually has something on it called a red line. Have you noticed it? Okay, if you push things beyond the red line, it's usually very expensive. But if you keep things at the red line all the time, it can also be very expensive. There are times that we need to learn to back up. In British Columbia, there's a famous highway that was finished in the last, probably the last 30 years or so. It goes from, from a little town called Hope over to Kamloops. It's called the Coquihalla. I don't know if you've been honored or not, but when you leave Hope, uh, and you go up the Coquihalla, it goes uphill for miles and miles and miles, and you're pulling steady. And one time, Kathy and I, uh, we've been over, I've been over that highway several times, and one time, Kathy and I went up there, and, and there are cars pulled over to the side of the road with their hoods in the air and steam coming out from under the hoods. Why? Because people were running at the red line. They were pushing it too hard. And one of the things you learn, I learned in my world of driving truck, is that my truck was happy to sit there and pull all day as long as I didn't keep my foot all the way to the metal. I would have to switch a couple of gears and then back off the throttle a little bit, and that truck would sit there and happily pull probably for eight or ten hours straight. But if you try and run at the red line all the time, or even in your life, if you try and run at the red line, you're going to burn out. When you farm with horses, horses need to rest. Sometimes we need to cut back. 
Sometimes we need to say, listen, I can't handle the pace of life. I need to cut back in some way or another. And so we need to develop a realistic attitude toward routine. Routine isn't totally bad. We need to learn to re relieve the routine and to enjoy it. First Timothy, is it up there? There it is. First Timothy 6 and verse 17 says, I, I have it here somewhere, I can't. Paul says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. We need to learn to re relieve the routine. One of my friends, uh, and many of you will know him, and he doesn't mind me telling this story because he tells it often enough. Pastor Wes Long, uh, used to be pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church in Saskatoon, had a couple of burnouts. And one of the things he said after his first burnout, he said, Bill, I needed to learn how to play. I needed to learn how to play because I was running at the red line all along. And he says, so my sons and I bought motorcycles, a man after my own heart. I needed to learn how to play. And the other reality is that we shouldn't set our hopes in this world. Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Jesus said, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? You know, life doesn't always smile. Sometimes life really bites. And life, for the most part, is a matter of routine. Dr. James Dobson years ago talked about, um, you know, guys, middle-aged guys or, or people who get disillusioned with their marriage and they get into another relationship. And, uh, and he says, usually what winds up happening, he says, there is all this initial euphoria of something forbidden and something that is new. He says, but the reality is that you wind up going from one straight life to another. Somebody still has to clean the toilet. Somebody still has to take out the garbage. Somebody still has to do all the rest of these things. And that's part of life. Somebody has to make the bed. Somebody has to do the laundry. Somebody has to go to work and, and bring home a paycheck. Somebody has to mow the grass. Somebody has to shovel the snow. Somebody has to paint the house. Somebody has to fix the roof. Somebody has to put tires on the car. And somebody has to do all the rest of this stuff. But the reality is that if we put our hope and trust in God, if we don't get caught up in this world, then we don't need to say, well, this is meaningless. This is total vanity. Because there is a reality beyond our daily routine. God loves us. God has incredible things in store for us. And what he asks you and me to do is to persevere. Father, life sometimes doesn't, and often doesn't turn out the way that we want it to. Sometimes things happen to us that we don't expect, and sometimes the things we pursue turn out to let us down. And yet, underneath it all, Lord, there is eternity. There's you. And we can trust you, and we can depend on you. So, Lord, guide us, guard us, help us to enjoy, to savor the moments, the good times that you give us. Help us to persevere in the hard times. Help us, Father, not to make our home in this world, 
but with you in all of eternity. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. We're dismissed. <laughs>